Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. A wise man once said, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Welcome to Extended Clip. I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today, right here, episode 231, we're talking about Popeye. Popeye the Sailor Man, Popeye the 1980 film by Robert Altman, a Robert Evans production starring Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. If only he was named Robert Williams, that would be a real powerhouse. <laughs> Maybe I'd uh, like him a little bit more then. Well, it's funny. When he died, uh, I was working at Starbucks at the time, and my coworker uh, Mikey, grabbed me on the shoulder and very solemnly said, hey, man, Robert Williams from Flubber died. <laughs> and so I've always thought of him as Robert Williams, like as a secondary <laughs> nickname, kind of. Uh, <laughs> so good. So did you guys see Popeye just like on TV when you were growing up or only like the cartoons? Yeah, I've only seen the, the cartoons. cartoons. Like uh, my, which I like, is it Fleischer? I believe is so. Is that the guy? The Popeye guy? Um, I know that. And going into this, I mean, obviously I have like a loose sort of context for this Altman film and like the production and it being like a bomb. But the one thing that's seared in my head about in relation to my Popeye fact for the episode <laughs> is uh, there's that really shitty Aristocrats uh, documentary about that joke um and oh, yeah. in Gilbert Godfrey the real joke is calling that a movie. Oh the Gilbert Godfrey uh telling of the joke where it's just like the father is like fist fucking like his daughter is uh he was a longshoreman. He had arms like Popeye <laughs> <laughs> and just thinking of someone with Popeye arm like proportions fisting an ass is some is it's an image that sticks with you it's just the and i mean truly one of the horrors of the movie is like the the real life version of the popeye arms but mm -hmm. yeah rest in peace to gilbert Gottfried, who made an appearance on the podcast many years ago <laughs> uh many people forget this and i might have to put the clip in yeah but, you gotta uh, drop it truly one of the heroes of the podcast even with his involvement in that dumb documentary hi this is gilbert Gottfried, and i'd like to wish the boys from the extended clip a very happy anniversary i mean he does a funny version of the joke yeah like, i mean that's he's the only literally one. like a top 20 all-time funniest person probably um but anyway back to popeye by robert altman 1980 before i get into like the the impetus of this film uh, because it has a kind of strange and historic uh production i want to get into why it's been selected you know usually uh, one of us selects the movie, or when we have a guest on the podcast, the guest selects the movie, right? That's that's all we yeah, do. Things. That's I think so. I think I think that's how I recall it. Okay, I'm just making sure that I'm not <laughs> just getting the facts straight. Cuckoo crazy pills. <laughs> um. So recently, if you hadn't heard, we launched Patreon. Uh, you know, Patreon.com/slash Extended Clip with an underscore between the two words. Uh, and that, you know, it has the normal $5 tier where you get the uh, bonus episode every week, but it also has the executive producer tier. Not a lot of people know about this. $15 a month executive producer tier. You get not only to help fund the show, uh, daddy needs a new TV, uh, but also, you know, I don't have a job too. Um, <laughs> But you also, at $15 a month, get to choose the topic of an extended clip episode. And this is the very first of this series of episodes, this long-running series. The extended clip fan selection. The, the executive producer. You know what we'll call it? The extended clip executive decision. Because it's the executive <laughs> Ooh, producer tier nice. donors giving us the decision of a lifetime. And this time, yeah. 
our old friend Andrew, who has a great Substack that he writes about culture, uh, you know, a lot of like music stuff, ties it in with like basketball movies, whatever other stuff Andrew's into, uh, slouching towards McDonald's land. Of course, uh, you know, uh, as wimpy, you know, a cross between wimpy and Joan Didion there, uh, apropos for the episode. <laughs> um, so you could go check out uh, 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 Andrew's Substack, but Andrew chose Popeye for us because he is a beautiful friend of the podcast yeah i uh i mean is that 15 dollars? if you continue that tier do you get uh would you get an episode each month or that, let's that's not crazy. ask that question i mean i'm just saying that, for 15, no no 15 dollars is a steal no, because then a rich episode. guy programs our fucking show for eternity <laughs> no you get one it's a don't have you ever donated to a radio station you don't get a new tote bag every week you get one tote bag <laughs> And it's for the year's worth of donation. Sorry to be angry. Like, I want my <laughs> pledges, you know, but no, I think I people you don't gotta... like me being fake nice. People like me being a bit of a crank. No, and people I think like the curmudgeon, <laughs> yeah. This kind of thing kind of sets me off because it's a privilege of a listener. You really, as the listener, have the privilege of listening to our podcast. I, you know, you can listen to Blank Check. You'll listen to the rewatchables if you want. Listen to Unspooled. Uh, you know, I don't give a fuck. But if you listen to us, that is a certain privilege that is honored to you and if you pay $15 a month you get the great honor of one episode of programming that's great it's great yeah some, some of those rewatchable episodes are not bad but um no I look, you, no, uh, no, no shade at Mr. Simmons no shade no, at Mr. No, Simmons I'm joking well there's I, I just wanted to say I'm trying to go to Sim City bro the $15 tier of course you get to choose the movie one time but there's also you know, it's not concrete deals, but now you're kind of like in the inner circle. You know, you're yeah. part of the the string pullers club. You know, what do executive producers do on their off time when they're not producing? They're behind closed doors, holding strings <laughs> in the club, cigar room full of smoke, end of the table where we're at. You could come join us at the table and we'll tell you the things that maybe that, know, that's the not, public that's don't, don't mic, need to know. Yeah, yeah I, the I also... off mic stuff that that's you know it's a little bit if everyone knew it then the world would be in disarray so we kind of have to keep it behind closed doors i also that think information is just jt's private instagram account the handle for it <laughs> it's just a level of pride too do you want to pay like yeah. do you want to like do you respect the podcast do you want to pay a measly five dollars or do you want to look me in the eye like a man and shake my hand and give me 15 bucks premium price <laughs> yeah premium price for a premium podcast and if you're you know if you're the wimpy uh the i will pay you tuesday for a hamburger today of patreon and you do the little patreon shuffle where you go back and forth uh, you know what whatever <laughs> uh popeye what am i i'm popeye the sailor and i am what i am what i am and i am what i am what i am what i am Popeye the Sailor Man, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man, just kidding, I'm more like Wimpy. Uh, I think Wimpy is truly one of the great characters in the history of fiction, um, because like that's that's a true American hustler who truly just wants a hamburger. And what else do we want as men than a hamburger? <laughs> and especially not to pay for it. That is the key. <laughs> Free lunch, the ultimate yeah. goal. <laughs> uh, so this was a, of course, very troubled production. This is like the end of the reign of terror of robert evans i say that he's the executive producer of like five of the best movies of the 70s probably uh he was like a godhead producer obviously and uh, there was like a bidding war for this movie you know between paramount and columbia and uh it, you know he ended up winning it out and he he kind of did it as a spite thing it was like he was tentative he wanted it but there there is pretty equal competition there with who was going to get to make this movie uh and then when columbia bought the rights to annie he was like all right i'm doing it you know like uh kind of like a little spite musical uh, <laughs> and so i it's a really like strange thing though that robert evans who's like 
the big business arts mogul of the 70s. You know, he's this guy who let artists off the leash to an extent. You know, his movies are giant and they're still hits. Like, it's like Chinatown and The Godfather. You know, like, these are artistic expressions on a major Hollywood level. So, to him, for him to have Robert Altman come in, who's coming off some not-so-hot movies, frankly. Uh, I mean, like, I love Three Women, but between Three Women and this, it's... Uh, kind of slim pickings if i recall correctly and especially right after this too um so getting altman in here in his like in the woods phase just before he's going into like television play adaptations uh getting one last stab at a big hollywood movie is such an interesting dynamic and he he's kind of fighting for his life but he's kind of it's altman he's kind of cynical too so he's like i'm just gonna do me uh but then when i say it's altman it's cynical it's kind of not. It's kind of the most sentimental Robert Altman movie by far. Uh, it's a very sweet movie. I would say that the Shelley Duvall, He Needs Me scene, there's a reason that uh, the ultimate uh, Altman stand PTA uh, sampled that in Punch Drunk Love because it is easily the most like pure pathos, like beautiful, emotional uh, experience on a sentimental level that you can get in a Robert Altman movie. And it's just this, like, two and a half minutes long, you know? Uh, it's just, like, so out of left field for Altman to pull something off like that. And all at once I knew, I knew at once, I knew he needed me. Until the day I die, I won't know why, I knew he needed me. Yeah, I mean, there are other, like, I mean, the sentimentality I obviously love, but I think something about it that's like, a just speaks to what I love about the movie on a larger scale is the way Duvall, like, moves her body, like, exactly mm -hmm. like uh, the cartoon olive oil. Just she has, like, a wiggly quality to her there that's, like, so, like, pitch perfect. And, I mean, consistently throughout the movie, there's that just, like, cartoon, like, rubberiness to a lot of the performances that I, like, I don't know, it's very impressive that Altman is able to get that out of a lot of actors and then just through, like, practical effects have that type of zany cartoon rubberiness cartoon is a great word because you know what i thought about was bakshi's american pop uh, oh yeah. the way that this uses music to tell like a classic american story you know popeye's tales all his time it's a sailor man american sailor man in a town by the harbor you know it's uh, uh any port in a storm if you will <laughs> uh, but uh like so he's taking this old thing and the, the opening musical number has this uh, refrain that even rhymes with the Star Spangled Banner kind of musically. Uh, and it's, of course, a very clever musical arrangement. I guess arrangement by Van Dyke Parks, uh, composition and songwriting by uh, Harry Nilsson. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really a fantastic soundtrack, like moving out of the... Uh, you know, classic Hollywood era uh, with like new talent, like clearly leaving that shit behind because there wasn't, you know, a good Hollywood musical like for 20 years at that point, probably. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 20 years is an exaggeration, but yeah, I feel like Altman is really going for something out of left field that still feels like a classic American Hollywood narrative. Uh, and that's like the inherent contradiction of it that makes it so interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, also for me, Popeye feels like kind of the perfect Altman character because you can understand what he's saying like half the time. Like uh, that, <laughs> I don't know, there are elements of his like sensibilities there that like, because it is very different from i'd say the rest of his catalog but like still just like i don't know unavoidably him like his personality shines through and mixes really well with yeah. like all the other things that he's trying to do here yeah popeye's mumbling is like a whole movie made out of uh that line in the long goodbye where the hippie neighbors offer him a cookie and he's like uh yeah it hurts my teeth but uh if you want to make me a couple of yankee doodles <laughs> like that's all of the popeye dialogue in this movie but it's robin williams doing it as popeye you know and it's such a strange character to be mumbling through a movie uh and it's it's such a strange contradiction of yeah this cartoony sensibility with the very altman style like it's it's an, a weird weird film malcolm what did you yeah. think of it 
No, I, I I feel like like this movie is very strange. I would say, and kind of like the the mixture, like you said, of kind of like cartoonishness and you know, kind of like the zaniness that happens and kind of like uh, the gags and whatnot, and just the town itself that's constructed for the movie and like Altman's stylistic tendencies. It's such a such a strange brew, you know what I mean? And I. That, but ultimately, that's where the pleasure for us watching it is, is kind of like this kind of clash of sensibilities. And uh, I, I admire it kind of like, I don't know, it's it has a, a nose for kind of like antics rather than kind of, uh, I don't know, making like focusing so much on the overarching Popeye story. And it, you know, it really reminds me of a, a one from the heart kind of in a way where it's kind of, and you know, there's off some obvious differences, but uh, kind of like Altman built himself a theme park and he's just doing what he would do at the theme park. And it's it's kind of interesting to see. I It is uh, how, like how it connects with me over the full entire run is, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 like, I liked it a good amount, but at the same time, I, I kind of, there's just a bit of strangeness that, is leaves me maybe a little bit distanced but at the same time i i i think it's so compelling that it's you know it's not like you know i'm not imdb plot holing it here it's like i, I love it for what it is you know it, it, but it's some it's it's a uh, it, it's it's something to behold i guess is what i'm trying to say no i definitely agree that there are some moments where i feel like I don't want to say it loses me because just the overall spirit of the movie, just like I'm, I'm so on board for it. Like the, I, uh, just dying laughing so hard at the gags of, uh, uh, Popeye punching a man like for so fucking long, like like a speed bag. See, that's what I like about this is it's like Altman sound design with a bunch of overdubs and sound effects like that. I actually really love (laughs) the zany sound effects that are like, punched in and there's so many like little punch-ins where usually it's like this oral soup that Mm -hmm. uh, our friend of the pod nick newman describes it despairing disparagingly as oral soup uh but that's clearly what he's going for you know uh and like i love that this is one of those movies uh with that same type of sound design but with all these random cartoony borderline three stooges-esque sound effects yeah, no, I mean, it definitely is like, I mean, in line with obviously classic Stooges and then the fairly like mm-hmm. Stooges uh, remake, oh, like, totally. like just, I, I don't know, but parts where it's like a little bit less gag heavy and goes into more of the like child dad stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I want to say, again, I like and appreciate the sentimentality there, but sometimes it like, I don't know, wanders a little bit off from just like the stuff that's really appealing to me. Yeah. It's just like hanging out in the community like the musical numbers and just again the gags are really what drive it home the hangout element particularly of the first half hour reminds me a lot of monsieur hulot's holiday uh and other jacques tati and like the light humor there Uh, i know malcolm's a big fan of light humor uh but like there's so many light humor gags in the first 30 minutes of this and it's like a little raunchier and punchier uh, obviously but it's all clearly not nearly as cynical as other altman comedies you know it's n- none of that nonsense so <laughs> it's all like uh, not clean family fun there's also also quite a few jokes that are clearly for adults you know about lubricants and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh but i i feel like uh yeah he, he's kind of he's kind of meeting robert evans halfway and you know there's a lot written uh, a lot of ink has been spilled on this as a failed production and a bomb and everything and a lot of conflict on set and you could kind of see that come out and i don't know maybe it's uh, one of those things where like the trades got in early about like uh it being a conflicted set and then so everyone knew it was going to be bad and a bomb before it even came out you know like an ishtar kind of thing like a mm-hmm. lot of those historic bomb flop movies like they were reported on while they were in production as troubled production so people knew they were going to be bad or whatever also maybe some people just don't like a movie where robin williams is popeye but it's all in robert altman dialogue like yeah you know, maybe some people just didn't like that I could, and i get it i could totally see this not being your bag but just i don't know it does 
there's so much where it's just I'm totally on board well, that, for it and like the, the bleached hair too like he <laughs> when it's revealed that he has that bright bleached hair when he takes his hat off the first time it's like he sounds like peter falk uh but looks like billy idol it's like the weirdest <laughs> thing ever it's yeah, like if, it, it's like if peter falk instead of a lazy eye had a lazy mouth that's how he sounds <laughs> No, I mean definitely. Just thinking of the general public, it's like I don't think I don't think people were ready for this movie necessarily, <laughs> yeah. or just the way the the way you were talking about it, how it seemed like integral to like some studio wars is is like kind of hilarious to think about because I mean I I think this movie is one of like the most idiosyncratic things that I I can really like think of yeah. you know when it and like I guess I I. It, I it kind of I when I was first watching it I don't know if I was in that headspace necessarily like I, I it's one of those movies where like I I feel like I'm putting myself at fault for not engaging it more at its level than where mm-hmm. it is you know what I mean like I it's it's just a uh, it, it's just it, it, it kind of I don't know as you could kind of tell as I'm struggling to find my words it just kind of left me kind of baffled and mostly in a good way but I guess I'm just I'm a little bit I'm a little bit confused. Like I get it, but I'm also like confused in a sense. It's but, for me. Yeah. It, sometimes it'll just be really off-putting when the new Hollywood guys are doing things that are more like straightforward comedy. Like mm-hmm. I think in terms of mm-hmm. Altman in particular, like another like another great success of him doing a comedy is like Brewster McCloud. Yeah, like I One think of the funniest movies of the seventies. Yeah, his his sensibility there shines through. But would, is Buffalo Bill the one? The Paul Newman is that a yeah. comedy? <sighs> well, it, I, 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 I I would not call it a. comedy. <laughs> comedy but i also would say it's the worst robert altman movie yeah no it's him i think it's him trying to do like a comedy and sometimes it'll just like fall flat in that type of miserable way that drags thieves like us yeah you know uh beyond therapy is also a comedy if i recall correctly therapy is like just him shitting on people for like 90 (laughs) minutes just (laughs) pure hatred for the human race so brewster mcleod too (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's better than others you know yeah Uh, no exactly like the brewster mcleod instinct like he never really went that chaotic with a comedy again that i that of what i've seen from him at least uh but for the most part yeah his straight ahead comedies aren't my favorite usually i like how funny his other movies are the long goodbyes hilarious mccabe and mrs miller has a ton of great comedy most of the new hollywood guys we've talked about this him scorsese de palma the the darker genre movies are all going to be really funny for the sake of like, I don't know. These guys are just funny guys probably. And they watched a lot of comedies growing up and it's hard not to insert that even in the most depraved material. I would say if you're a good enough filmmaker, you've seen a lot of comedies. I would say Uh, like one thing I was laughing so hard at is like, the the bar fight that he gets into early on and it's not even at a bar it's at the hamburger stand uh, but the first fight that whippy gets to like all these gates get locked down and like all these people clear out and it's this totally like pre-built procedure for how fist fights go down at this place and it feels like roadhouse (laughs) it genuinely feels like a dumb guy 80s action movie uh but then he does like three stooges moves on them (laughs) It's, it's such a funny dynamic man and yeah i i think that when it's trying to be more narratively driven it loses me because it's like Look, the olive oil stuff, I like his relationship uh, in the Shelley. Shelley Duvall's performance is incredible. And it's like in- inhuman almost in how good it is, like how slithery she could be as olive oil and how cartoonish she is. But also there's also always going to be a humanity in her face in the way that Altman captures her face. Uh, one of the great, you know, director actor pairings that there is. Uh, so, you know, her performance is fantastic, but sometimes, you know, when robin williams as we said with the kids stuff with the like making his way about town stuff when it's not as gag heavy i'm not too into it i don't as i said i don't really like robin williams as a dramatic actor frankly i've never liked like his melodramatic roles that people always say he's like the best actor ever for even goodwill hunting i like goodwill hunting but it's a mad damon movie you know it's not a robin williams movie yeah i'm never again i've never been fully in the williams camp either but again for me it's just like the the narrative force in this is so sparing and just the vast majority of it is this type of 
get like gags and hangout and just so so deeply indebted and entrenched in like imitating to a T the style of those original cartoons and just like respecting the classics there of cartooning is just something that I just appreciate so much. Like it gets like, I don't know, translating that into real life is such a unique challenge and it does it so effectively and is just mirroring like, the style of gags, like the setup of locations, just like how things play out. And it's just, I, I don't know. I love how much it clearly respects those old, like just dumbass cartoons. Yeah, and we love Maybe, the old uh, dumbass cartoons. Yeah, we no, watch exactly. Looney Tunes all day. Yeah, no, I, I love that aspect of it. I think it's it, it, beyond what people call fan service these days. It's like literally it's the cinematizing of, a classic serial cartoon you know it's it's a novel idea and uh the the conflicted results between altman and evans make for a very interesting product and i would say that the performances by shelly duvall and like you know the wimpy performance and bluto it's like so fun and cartoony i i really like it yeah i mean yeah. the bluto stuff is so good he's like I don't know. He's like a Russian guy almost. Like he's like a guy from like a, a he's like the villain from like a silent Soviet movie. <laughs> and all he does is grunt the whole time. It's great. Uh, and, you know, uh, there, there's so many just like goofy doohickeys and like vehicles that people are in. Like if you thought Jeff Goldblum's ride in Nashville was weird, you know, wait till you see what people are getting around town in here and like the float toward the end with like the the fighter guy. Like uh, the, the, there's a big fighter that people are able to challenge toward the end. And uh, he, he's like oh, brought yeah, into town on this giant float. Max and Sons Square Garden. <laughs> Max and Sons Square Garden. <laughs> it's just such a dumb joke. <laughs> I feel like this movie accomplishes uh, its sense of cartoonishness. And, in a, and I think that maybe is maybe what this movie does the best, even. But it accomplishes it through there being a real sense of kind of like mania throughout the movie you know what i mean like there are definitely movies that have tried to get the cartoonish feel you know on into a movie but it feels so um naturally cartoonish here just because i think of altman's you know tendencies you know there's tons of characters and like crowded sets and the sets themselves are you know insane and super wooden movie you know a lot of wood in the movie um yeah. but uh but not but not not a wooden movie i guess i should say not you know very cartoonish movie but so i feel like you know and maybe you know this is going a step too far this is uh getting maybe a little too extra textual but it's like maybe even kind of like the the conflict of the set and kind of like the craziness of the set is just fueling kind of like i don't know like uh in a cartoon you feel like anything could happen and you know it's it's the same sense that you get here watching this movie no totally and i love like there's even the little insert shots that seem way more cartoony uh like when bluto is about to fight popeye and you get his pov shot where he sees red uh and it's like the set looks painted like an Argento movie for half a <laughs> second. And it's very, uh, it's a very cartoonish distortion of reality. Uh, and it's so well executed. And I think Altman is very dedicated to, uh, you know, showcasing the artistry of all types of filmmaking. I mean, this is a guy who directed TV, directed procedurals, uh, or not procedural, sorry, industry films, like real, like industrial procedurals. He directed like, uh, drunk driving PSAs. You could find a an industry film he made in the late fifties about football that teaches you the rules of football and like the positions and the forward pass. Uh, like, and he made like a a standard popular juvenile delinquent movie. Like, I think he has a better grip on the grab bag of American cinematic genre studies than any other director, frankly, from his background leading up to MASH and then his ability to genre hop on such a big scale in the 70s, all fueled by his experience in the industry in the 50s and 60s. And I, I just think it's one of the most remarkable arcs that a, a director can have. And he's, he's to me, like the essential 
uh, genre director of the American cinema for that. And uh, I think Popeye as like the uh, the sailor cartoon genre, <laughs> he he conquers it just like he conquers. Maybe not as well as he conquers the Private Eye movie in The Long Goodbye or the revisionist Western in McCabe and Mrs. Miller or the literary adaptation in Shortcuts. But it's a damn good movie. I mean, it's like he's conquering animation in live yeah, action, which is such, such an impressive feat. feat. Yeah, and no, it's, totally. And I, it's, I think it's a great movie. And I mean, that's why the I feel like the narrative stuff is definitely the weakest because yeah. it's like when you're watching a when you're watching like a i don't know like 10 minute like uh popeye cartoon like you're not like concerned about the dramatics of it yeah, like exactly. you know like yeah. obviously like popeye is gonna stop bluto at the end and rescue like p- put olive oil over his shoulder and take her back Speaking of, I love the uh, Mario Brothers-esque setup of the final uh, confrontation here where Bluto's in full Wario mode and like he even stuffs olive oil in this tube that looks like <laughs> the kind of tube you go down in Mario. <laughs> like It's so funny to me. Uh, I, I just think that that final set piece is so fun because then you get the octopus and it's a little jaws exploitation. You got Altman throwing in these like music cues that are uh, riffs on the John Williams jaws score and you get the the shot that should be like a shark fin but then it ends up being popeye's uh pipe that he's using it as a periscope (laughs) it's just like a very silly movie you know he ends up meeting his real dad who teaches him to eat spinach (laughs) and uh honestly it's like while i was watching it i had some problems with it narratively but there's such a great like emotional sweep in the few scenes that really work emotionally there's such a great a consistent stream of light comedy gags even if not all of them kill me there's like so many good ones that it just keeps the vibe up the whole time i think it's one of the immaculate works of production design this island is fucking i mean there's a reason that the island of malta is now just a just decayed popeye set we we gotta book our trip to popeye village yeah we gotta go we gotta go to malta and uh hang out there you know uh because that is like one of the greatest sets in cinema history i just think that like building a cartoon and it's like yeah it's it's a little uh icky if you will but it really does feel like you know the the big swinging uh, the D-swing in Hollywood cinema just coming through and like, yeah, we're just going to like make this island into the craziest cartoon set ever. And it ended up fucking flopping and they made no <laughs> like the money was not there. Uh, like, it's so crazy that that ended up happening like that. And I think it's one of the great anomalies of cinema, if not one of the great films. It's still one of the great anomalies. And, you know, look, Robert Altman, he's our guy. Like. this isn't Brewster McCloud. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not even that for me, but I'm still giving it four bullets. I think it's just like such a worthwhile object, even if it's just for the set design, the he needs me number and the three stooges esque parts. Uh, like that is enough for me. And come on, wimpy, wimpy. That's my, that's the most relatable character in cinema history. I, you know, if I could get hamburgers on credit, I would not just be a happier man. I'd be a much heavier man. But I'd, be a, I'd be the happiest man in all of the tri-state area. I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. But regardless, uh, that's the end of my spiel on Popeye. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I'm also going uh, four bullets. I think it's really great. And the parts of it that are just like so true to life cartooning just are so like inherently effective i uh i don't know i love that so much it also is like to like think about it as a flop and i mean maybe i'm missing like some of the context maybe in late 70s and or like early 80s there were a lot of popeye heads but it's just like popeye like people always love looney tunes like i feel like like i do appreciate uh the fleischer animated uh, Popeye cartoons that I have seen, but I feel they're always taking the backseat to Looney Tunes. And for a lot of people, like even uh, Tom and Jerry, Tom and Jerry, Disney stuff, like there's like, I don't know, pop. I mean, I wouldn't Would say. Would you rather, really rather watch Mickey than no, Popeye? No, I, I would rather watch Popeye, but I'm just saying in the cultural mind, 
it's just so strange to me that someone is just like, you know, everyone loves Popeye. We're finally going to take him to the uh, to the to the big screen in a live action movie. That's going to get butts in seats. Like that's just uh, even just thinking about it. Then it's just like why? Like who? Like why? But there's I'm I'm part of the niche audience. I'm I'm there for it. That's uh, I don't know. Does a lot for me. When you think about it, like this is kind of one of the first like movies made. Well, maybe not one of the first, but. It feels like a very modern example of like, oh, we have this IP, Popeye. Let's make a movie out of it. You no, know what I, I mean? Like, I tweeted about it, but I couldn't like yeah. help. And I feel it's a very hollow comparison because for like yeah. the Barbie movie is about a toy. And for some reason, a toy is different than a cartoon. It's a doll. And that's for girls. And cartoons are for boys. But like, yeah. it is. You can miss me with that Barbie shit. Frankly. It's like it's like a similar stylistic exercise of like crafting this like fake, like elaborate, like lavish world. And like this is just such a more effective version of that for me because it's just like I don't know it's populated with a more like it's more vibrant. There are more characters that are just like uniquely. I mean, they're characters that are just as wooden. I mean, not wooden, but just as like one note as some of the Barbie characters. But the gags are the gags are better. The, the gags are better, and the world is better. And it doesn't have the yeah. uh, Ford Taurus commercial mise en scène. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no yeah i this this feels like a like wholly unique product like i was saying and kind of like just the you know like some what's crazy about this movie is that like like eddie was kind of referring to the the pure manpower that it took to just build this set it's like holly like this doesn't exist without hollywood and the manpower and the money behind it and or maybe even the idea to make a popeye feature film so kind of like altman kind of like doing his quote-unquote you know sellout move but still kind of crafting something crazy out of it is something that you know is to be admired and i feel like every filmmaker would want to be in that position almost kind of like a a prompt a challenge even kind of like all right they're giving me like 70 million dollars to make like this kids movie that's not you know popeye but i don't know the popeye budget but just like it's kind of a weird challenge it's like how do i stay artistically true to myself and altman does it like twice over you know not as only is he true to himself but he kind of maybe even breaks new ground doing stuff that maybe he wouldn't usually do or wouldn't have the budget to do so uh i'm gonna give this three and a half bullets saying and and giving it an r right next to it for rewatch okay yeah 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 we almost got in trouble there yeah well no i'm not talking about the r's but i'm talking about r for rewatch because uh i just i just felt like i just wasn't i wasn't ready for this movie like a lot of the audience and i i just i feel like knowing exactly what it is i i would be more receptive to it so three and a half with a little r and all at once I knew, I knew at once, I knew he needed me. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'd like to wish the boys from the extended clip a very happy anniversary. Uh, now it was 75 weeks ago uh, that uh, you uh, did uh, 75 weeks ago that you reviewed Problem Child. And uh, that's a coincidence because uh, Problem Child came out 75. Till the day I die, I won't know why I knew he needed me. years ago so it's kind of a how problem child never won the academy award for best picture just proves that hollywood is totally political it could be fantasy oh or maybe it's because 
I think cancer's a small price to pay to lick Catherine Zeta-Jones' pussy. Before, before, because they never needed me. But I do. But he does. Maybe it's because he's so alone. Maybe it's because he's never had a home. He needs me, he needs me. He needs me, he needs me. He I would, needs I would, me, would take that chance. Me, yeah, I would, me, I would suck her tits for Lucas. He needs me, he needs me, he needs me. He needs for the me, chance. He needs yeah, me, the chance. He needs me, he needs me. He needs me, he needs me. I would eat out her asshole for muscular dystrophy. He needs me, he needs me. He needs me, he needs me. Would you commit suicide by Catherine's Oh, yes, yes, yes. I would. If I wanted to kill myself, I'd eat Catherine's Hated Jones twice. He needs me, he needs me. For once, for once in life, I finally felt that someone needed me. And we're back on extended clip it is malcolm in the middle everybody's favorite segment look at him he's right there it's malcolm he's in the middle he's actually in the middle this time we finally did it (laughs) we finally did it boys malcolm we have not recorded in a week and a half until today maybe even two weeks about uh I i took some time off for the move uh how's your how's your life been going since uh we last recorded Let's pretend like we haven't talked intermittently <laughs> since we last recorded. Uh, it's, it's going good. You know, I got a couple, uh, couple things in the fire, you know, right now. I got a couple things cooking. I like I that. A some... lot of people have irons in the fire, but you keep a little more vague. I got things <laughs> in the fire because, frankly, you don't want to give up your, your iron supply. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, I got some ovens in the fire, but I was like, that's not it. Uh, so, yeah, I got... Big, big stuff is on the way. Big, big stuff. So, but in the meanwhile, I'd like to watch a movie or two. And the movie I chose this week is Seven Beauties, directed by Lena. Love this movie. Uh, Wertmuller. Ah, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of it too. JT. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's 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 uh. To be honest, I when I saw the seven, I was like reading the plot a little bit before you know deciding to watch it, and like I thought the movie was going to be about. And, and it is to a, a, a lesser extent, but I thought it was going to be mainly about, he's like, oh, I got seven sisters and like, I got to protect them all. And that was like the <laughs> whole movie. And he would just be like, I mean, no, the title town. does lead you in that direction. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like I thought it'd be like, kind of like a almost comedy style thing where like, oh, his sister's going out with a thug again. He's got to go beat him up. But yeah, I also thought the 400 blows was a boxing movie. <laughs> exactly <laughs> see i'm glad i'm glad i'm not alone um but so this it's it's actually that's how it starts out you know he, there's this uh uh protagonist named pasquale pasquiliano played by giancarlo giannini to a great t and he's got seven sisters uh seven beauties the title is a bit ironic because uh you know these sisters not the most desirable and that's how the movie frames it. I think <laughs> uh, would would to all of them in the most respectful way. Uh, but and so the oldest one gets caught up with a pimp, and he, you know, she starts, you know, doing sex work for the pimp. 
he's not too pleased by that. He goes and kills this guy, dismembers him, and he doesn't do a good job covering it up. He gets arrested. And then basically while he's in prison, he he hears about this great little war that's going on, World War II, and he, you know, realizes that there's a chance for release he goes and fights in the war and ends up in the concentration camps and this is shown not in the you know direct order it's it, it's it cuts kind of back and forth between um his time in the camps the time before where he's dealing with oh, his no. sister and the pimp and it's uh it's a kind of it's a it's a it's it's a crazy movie that is kind of hinged on this this kind of metaphor or whatever the term would be. I'm not so good with terms, but kind of like he's upset that his sister is doing sex work so much that he kills someone, risks his own innocence, gets put in jail just because he's so against that dirty line of work and then ends up in a concentration camp. And his only way out is to sexually appease this large German, uh, concentration oh, man. camp fucking uh, his way out of the concentration camp with that big nazi woman i mean the whole movie yeah. in like it has such a dark like cynical sense of humor like all of the yeah. events you describe like on paper sound like so serious but it's just like played for comedy with genini is like and, and like his collaborations with Wurt mueller um overall are like fantastic he normally plays like kind of the ultimate bozo and in this he's such like a scrawny little worm of a man like even like when he's in the <laughs> asylum he like tries to like rape a woman like as well yeah. like he's just like the most pathetic vile person that survives through like world war ii like a cockroach just because he he just has no scruples and it's just it's the funniest thing yeah it's a real like it really takes this character and puts him puts him on a pretty painful journey and you know i think we're meant to you know take a lot from it but yeah we're also meant to kind of uh, there's a bit of humor to all of this and uh that being said it, it is it is kind of crazy how um i don't know i haven't watched enough of this type of movie and i think i like it it's kind of like i think hesse brought the night porter to us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and i guess these are both holocaust Holocaust sets. I didn't even really think about that, but kind of just like these depraved kind of Italian movies that are just kind of going for the bottom of the barrel, but like in a good way. Like you know what I mean? There's like a, you know, there's a there's a there's a scene in this movie where a man jumps into a vat of shit and he dies <laughs> in it. He drowns in it. Um. So it's it's that's the type of uh yeah you know, and that and that's played somewhat for humor, somewhat. I think, you know, it, it, I, I think I kind of like this movie's almost antagonistic nature, kind of like it'll do something just to make you frown a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the visual, I think the visuals are very unique because uh, it'll go for kind of like that garish ugliness that a lot of filmmakers are not exactly, they don't know how to weigh, wade their way into that territory well. People you know, even if it's about a nasty subject, it's, some of these movies will still look great, look like have a beauty to them. Whereas this one, uh, you know, when I see these nasty greens uh, in the office of of the the large German concentration camp officer, well, uh, Giannini is crawling on his knees begging to eat her pussy. I, I can't help but feel negative feelings. And, uh, uh, but I, I I don't know. I think I think it's a worthwhile venture, and I'm definitely gonna. This is my first Lena Wertmuller movie. Surprising. I mean, it's it's funny that she's Italian, but that name sounds so so German. Mm. I don't know. Random random thought, but I'm definitely gonna check more out because yeah, I think I think me and her are on the same page. <laughs> yeah. No. I definitely some. <laughs> I agree. I love the. I think I've seen maybe three or four. Uh, movies of hers now and I do really like I don't know she has like a, a really fun like edgy cynicism to it that's not just like I, I don't know not just like kind of hollow uh, provocations but like coming from a really meaningful place and like Seven Beauties 
like uh, I think it's still like obviously there's a lot of like very harsh unpleasantness and comedy as well. But there are moments where you do sort of wrestle with like the gravity of the situation, Um, particularly in the concentration camp stuff. Like there are some like very like intense moments where like even someone is like weak and pathetic as like the Giannini character who's shown to like pretty much only care about surviving uh, for himself is kind of shaken by like some characters that have been closer and nicer to him, like the way they're like just inhumanely executed. And uh, yeah, I love uh, Wertmuller's like tone in general uh, swept away uh, is uh, another one of that like, uh, I don't know, similar atmosphere and vibe and has Giannini as well. Yeah, no, she's definitely worth exploring. I want, we should bring something of hers to the pod sometime. I, I agree. I really have been wanting to get into her filmography, so that's perfect timing to do so. Um, JT, you seen anything good this week? Uh, yeah, I've been on a fairly decent run. Uh, Damn, I thought you were going to say a Fairly Brothers run. No, I wish. I mean, not I wish, because I've been watching good movies still, but you could always be watching more great movies. I just did some rewatches of My Night at Mods, uh, Silence, uh, Call Ho Naho. Um, but today, I was a little, little hungover, hanging out after a party, and I like uh, wanted to throw on like something, something light, not something I was gonna have to uh, like be too hardcore into. And I did uh, Frontier Marshal by Alan Dwan um, from 1939. Has uh, Randolph Scott, uh, Cesar Romero, John Carradine. And uh, starting it, I didn't know. Like, I, I And again, I'm surprised I didn't know this, that uh, My Darling Clementine is a, like a direct, pretty direct remake of this. And uh, it's interesting... Uh, to see Randolph Scott in the role of Wyatt Earp that Fonda would portray. And there are definitely a lot of, like, similarities in tone at point. Like, it's clearly, like, how can you touch My Darling Clementine? Like, that's just, like, a masterpiece. One of the, one of the films. Just mm-hmm. one of the best of all time. But this is, I don't know, a really great kind of B-Western feel to it. Um, but it is neat seeing again, how like directly it's taking the legend of the gunfight at OK Corral and that source material and just you're, you're doing your game, the game in the head of comparing it to Ford, um, and just seeing like how things are played differently. And it's interesting. I don't know. For me, that really brings out like Ford's strengths as a filmmaker and just reminded me of those moments. I mean, again, there's, there's a lot to love here. I think Scott. Um, I had not seen a Randolph Scott performance that was this early, so it's weird seeing him be so young because I'm used to the sort of like either 50s or 60s mm-hmm. where Randolph Scott looks really leathery, mm-hmm. like someone just put him in a dehydrator um, and his voice is like also a little bit more gravelly, but he is a really charming, like charismatic performance here. But one scene in particular that I was doing uh just like relating it to darling clementine is uh they bring back the like traveling uh thespian that's in both movies and the way ford like plays the scene where it's just a beautiful grace note uh where you get doc holiday um like filling in the rest of the shakespearean mm-hmm. monologue is just like that's totally absent we get a little bit more of like the goofs and gags of like uh, the like them like shooting at uh, the feet of uh, the thespian, making him dance, you know, like the that classic sort of Western trope. Um, and uh, I, it's it's really hard to like, I don't know, watch something like that. That is that uh, directly the same thing and just you're weighing it to a masterpiece. But it was a fun time, pleasant enough, like seventy, it, like seventy-ish minutes. Yeah, no, I, I just think that like 
that Shakespeare scene in the Ford one, man. That's just the greatest thing of all time. Absolutely, like, yeah. And it's just, just like, elevating yeah. cowboy. Because the thing is, people have told the story of Wyatt Earp on film before Ford, clearly, as you just said, with Alan Dwan and others. And people did it after. But I think the way that Ford uses Shakespeare as, like, the great elevator of art and uh, to, like, you know put these cowboy myths uh, as like the american version of shakespeare uh in that scene is just like one of the greatest things he ever did as an artist yeah yeah i really want to check that one out alan dwan's a really interesting director to me i, I want to check that out for sure i have not watched a movie uh other than the podcast ones in about 10 days because i just packed my life up in a budget van and moved from los angeles to the city of brotherly love philadelphia um so i didn't watch any movies but i'll talk a little bit about the trip and the music i i, I did a lot of intentful listening uh you know ran through the uh, velvet underground uh, lou reed john kale and nico collected uh solo work in chronological order up till about 1978 and uh hey what can i say it's good <laughs> <laughs> No, I I just like I don't know. Uh seeing the changing landscapes was very inspiring to me. It made me think a lot about James Benning. Uh made me think a lot about the other great regional filmmakers. Uh seeing some came running which we just did our Patreon episode on just then after I had driven through some small towns in the Midwest made me think about how America is on all these different cycles of time, different regions of the country, and how they're represented in art. Uh, like, just certain places aren't caught up to other places, and old America still exists in pockets, and um, versions of America that are more futuristic than you even know exists in other pockets, you know. And uh, just driving through the country was very eye-opening for me, not just in terms of natural landscapes, but, you know, human landscapes and uh, interactions and just regional accents and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, it, it kind of inspired me to dig a little more deeper into, and I guess this is more in music than film because film is so central to Hollywood, but it made me want to dig a little deeper into very regional art and what it produces uh, like while I was, you know, driving up here, I was thinking about regional. Uh, did did the zoom just disappear? Oh no, no! Oh, that is such a boner! Oh god my damn. god! I was thinking about regional art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it said we froze on his end. Wow. Oh no. Well. We might have to do the end of the podcast uh, audio only then, which is kind of a giant boner. We're just we're getting there still. It's yeah. a, it's the podcast is in transition in the Philadelphia era. We're uh, we're growing and rising. It's not going to be all smoothed out right away. Uh, I said duck to Malcolm, which is very funny because it implies like something's <laughs> about to fly into his room. I meant to say fuck. Because uh, he said you guys froze on my end. So that's going to do it for this week's extended clip. You know, there's been some technical stuff on all of our ends lately. But that was going to be the end of the episode anyway. Like, we're not doing an email. We did we did a longish email segment on the bonus episode. That's what you plug. See, that's the thing. I don't have internet yet. I'm doing this off a fucking mobile hotspot. I don't have a TV yet. Donate to the fucking Patreon. Donate to Extended Clip Patreon. Get a second episode every week. $15 a month, executive producer tier. Make the executive decision. Uh, extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. Talk to us. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have internet, and I'm kind of really annoyed right now, so I'm going to try to not uh, let that translate to the podcast. What do we what do we got next week? Just to oh, wrap that up, just oh, to tease there. Week. Oh, thank you so much, JT, uh, for, for keeping me accountable, holding me accountable. So... The next time you're going to hear from us uh, on the page, if you are a $5 a month Patreon uh, or 15, uh, you will hear from us in just a few days on 9-11. That's right. How are we celebrating? Uh, well, I guess, how are we mourning? <laughs> you don't celebrate, you <laughs> how mourn. How we but, celebrate? but it is a holiday. It is a technically a national holiday. It's a day of mourning, but it is technically a holiday. And what do you do on a holiday? 
celebrate. You celebrate. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah Look, it's a little syntaxical logic problem, you know. But so we're celebrating 9-11 with American Pie. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Jason Biggs. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we're each going to get an apple pie. And <laughs> I don't know how accountable we can hold Malcolm. But JT and I, we're looking each other in the <laughs> eye. <laughs> Strap on your uh, what do you what do you strap on when you're in like a spaceship? Uh, I don't maybe a spacesuit. Well, do they have seatbelts? I guess a seatbelt. Yeah, well, like, put on strap your, on. You, so put on the seatbelt. Put on your, your strap on. <laughs> put on. Put on. Well, put something in your strap on or whatever. However that works. I've never seen such a thing, but uh, strap into your 2008 Honda Accord and uh, turn that shit up. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.